Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 6, following Brian Carey. The Miami Tropics were close to finishing their final homestand with the Yankees, and Beetlehouse's investigators had found nothing in Carey's past that would, in any way, be incriminating. The simple check revealed Carey to be a versatile athlete, avid debater, above-average student, and deeply concerned about social issues. There wasn't a blemish on his record from grade school in Gladings, Nebraska, through the University of New Mexico and the major leagues. The investigators gave up their efforts and returned to Florida to begin a general surveillance of Carey's activities. Stationed in a van one street over, they trailed Carey through Saturday. The end result was thousands of feet of taped conversations, both telephone and within Carey's Key Biscayne home. They even had some sparkling 8x10 photographs of Carey, his wife Joan, and three children, but they could find nothing unusual. As Carey was preparing to leave for the ballpark, they called Beetlehouse from the telephone inside the van. George, this is Jake Dorsey, uh, said the investigator with a tanned, weather-beaten face. Jake, what do you got? Asked Beetlehouse, almost dreading the answer. Nothing, George. Absolutely nothing. If there is anything to be found, George, if I had more sophisticated equipment, a lot of time and money, said Jake as he twisted a toothpick between his teeth. Well, that means he's clean. Good, good. That makes me feel good, said Beetlehouse. We can keep a watch if you want. Okay, well, maybe through tomorrow. Can you send Gil back with the team? Asked Beetlehouse, referring to Gill's usual job, keeping tabs on his players for minor infractions like breaking curfew or bar hopping. We'll get back to you tomorrow, George, said Jake as he hung up the telephone. He looked over to his partner, Gil Cerillo, an overweight, jolly-looking man with straight dark hair and a cartoon mustache, which indeed looked as if it had been drawn onto his face. Let me guess, he said in a voice which which was as roly-poly as his belly. George wants us back at the Tempora building. Now, he agreed to another day of surveillance, said Jake. Gil bit into a mammoth bacon, lettuce, and tomato grinder, and he spoke with the food still in his mouth. You know, Jake, I know George doesn't want us to... Right. If he did, he would have tried to push us more than he did. If Carrie had done time or something like that, we would have found something, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean, said Gil as he wiped the mayonnaise from his lip. And if his name was in a phone book, we'd probably find out uh, where he lived. <laughs> hey, wise guy, okay, we, we'll get something on Carrie. Something, said Jake as he set the coffee cup down. What are you going to do, dress up like Carrie and rob a bank? Badgered Gil as he laughed and angered Jake. Look, I don't like Kerry anyways. He's too damn, too damn cocky. Sticking his nose into things that ain't his concern. Why doesn't he just play ball and shut up? You wouldn't see Joe DiMaggio trying to get convicted killers let go in prisons. No, he'd be serving coffee before the execution. <laughs> ah, you're just trying to get my ass, said Jake as he caught sight of Kerry coming out of the house a hundred yards away put on the headphones and turned on the disc microphone on top of the van. Gil raised his binoculars. Here comes the wife and kids. My big happy family, said as a taxi pulled into the driveway. The reel-to-reel tape recorder captured the conversation as Jake listened intensely. The voices seemed muffled and scratchy like there was a loose connection. Taxi to the airport. 
Jake banged on the roof to shake the disc. Where the hell did you get this thing anyways? He asked Gil. Guido's. Electronic surplus supplies. He paused. And grill. <laughs> and grill? Asked Jake, almost choking on his words. Come on, Gil, what kind of a place would be buying? And then he stopped in mid-sentence as, as Carrie's wife, Joan, spoke. Her mother said wish you were coming, Brian. She's got, a, you know, the kind of things for the children. and She, she spoils them. She loves to indulge them. Half-assed Mike yelled Jake as he repeatedly pounded on the roof. This only created a searing whistle in the headphones from feedback. He flung them to the side as Gil snickered. Come on, Jake, quit taking this so seriously. We're all done here, you know that. Calm down, did you hear anything? Asked Gil as he looked back at the taxi. Just bits and pieces. Something about going to the airport. Apparently she's going to her mother's place. You mean they had an argument? Nah, she's going away for a few days. Besides, he has to finish out the season in Chicago, explained Jake. Well, it looks as though they're getting ready to go, said Gil as Jake cautiously put the headphones over his ears. Oh, now it's working perfectly. Why can't you go with us, Daddy? Asked Carrie's six-year-old daughter. Daddy's got to go to Chicago, darling. It's a Carrie who turned to his wife. Have a nice trip, Joni. I'll see you at the end of the week, said Carrie as he kissed his blonde-haired wife. Daddy, can't you come now? Asked his five-year-old son who hung out the rear window of the taxi. Listen to your mother now, and I'll see you in a few days. Bye, Brian. Good luck in Texas, said Joni. Wow, I'll need it. Believe me, I'll need it. He said as he embraced his wife one more time, and she got inside the cab with the children. The taxi backed out of the long driveway with children hanging out the windows and waving goodbye to their father. The driver swung onto the street, and the cab sped away. Carrie waved one last time and then walked around the rear of his house. As he picked up the telephone on the patio, another tape recorder snapped on inside the van, and the sound of numbers being dialed came over the external speakers. Jake took off the headphones, and Gil set down the binoculars. Now, yeah, he must be driving. He must be dialing long distance, said Jakey. Gil said as he listened to the line ring. Ramada in, Manassas. Yes, this is Brian Carey calling. Would you ring Mr. Crager's suite, please? Yes, Mr. Carey, right away, said the operator as Crager's line rang. Hello? Mr. Crager? No, this is Clyde Riggs. Mr. Crager is indisposed. May I help you? Well, if this is Brian Carey, I... Oh, Mr. Carey, one minute, please, said Riggs. A few minutes later, Crager came on the line. Brian, how nice of you to call, he said graciously. Well, I just want to inform you that I can arrive in Texas sometime Monday afternoon. I don't have to be in Chicago till Tuesday afternoon, so I can speak at your rally. What time is the execution? At uh, 8 o'clock, but really, you don't have to put yourself out for us. After all, the season will be over soon, and you'll have plenty of time. Oh, no, it's no trouble at all. No trouble at all, Max. None at all. Well, then we'll see you Monday afternoon, then. We formed a discussion group with the local people here to talk about the movement and the issues. It's being held at the Manassas High School, 43 High Street, and they'll tell me what... They tell me it's near the railroad tracks on Route 49, just after you get off Interstate 99. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure I'll find it. Did you get any response from my speech the other day? Yes, we have a flood of telegrams, letters, contributions, replied Crager. 
thank you very much. As have I. I've directed them all to your organization. Apparently your presence has sparked an interest in what we're doing. As I've said before, I am at your disposal. That's good to know. Thank you. See Krager. And I'll see you on Monday, Max. Very good. Very good. Carrie hung up the telephone and immediately dialed another number. See Jake. See, what did I tell you, Gil, huh? Asked Jake. Oh, he's sticking his nose into somewhere it doesn't belong. Jackie Bryant. Hi, Bryant. They get off all right? Oh, yeah, they're off to Nantucket. I should get up there by the weekend. Did you call the boys? Yeah, yeah, it's all set. Good, good, you have the key. Got some heavy-duty investments here with some high rollers, Jackie. Sure, sure, big stakes, I know all about it. Well, we can't be too careful. Yeah, right, right. Well, they'll take care of us. Okay, Brian, we'll see you when you get back from the park. Yeah, bye, Jackie. What the hell's going Oh, it's probably Penny Annie Poker. Come on, come on, Gil, said Jake. Yeah, well, let's get something to eat. I'm hungry, said Gil. Right, right, you're always hungry, he said as he crawled into the front of the van, removed the outside disc, and they drove into the city. Gil had fallen asleep in the corner of the van and Jake was ready to doze off when the game ended. However, something strange was happening, maybe a record playing or another game, he couldn't figure it out. Hey Gil, take a lesson to this, said Jake as he pushed the headphones under the chest of the sleeping man. Oh, wake me in the morning, Jakey, he said as he couldn't open his eyes. Will you? As he pushed the headphones harder and Gil's eyes opened wide. What the hell time is it? It's quarter to one. Will you listen to what's going on here? Why is he not at the hotel with the team? Why is he with these guys? Brian, Brian, we got people who can do things for you. Really? You just name it, we'll take care of it for you. Yeah, that, that's great, Frankie. Frankie, no problem. Thank you, good guy. Who are these guys he's with? Gil sat up, rubbing his eyes, and put the headphones over his ears. He listened attentively. I don't know. They're just having us a party. From what we know, Carrie doesn't cheat on his wife. Ah, oh, jeez, I don't know. I don't know. The fact is, they're not in the team hotel. The Beetle House isn't going to like that. Gil, still half asleep, opened the rear doors of the van and strapped one of his cameras over his shoulder. He stepped up, followed by Jake, and they crossed the street. Cutting through several yards, they emerged below the hotel window. They hurried over to the other side, slinking along the neighborhood houses as they made their way up a small knoll, diving onto their bellies, which was quite a chore for Gil. They crawled behind bushes. Gil stood up, brushing the grass off his stomach, and he looked through the glass doors of the hotel and of the main part of the house. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that Frankie Fisher? Frankie Fisher? Frankie Fish is one of the most powerful mob people in the country. Come on, will you, Gil? I don't know. Frankie Fisher. There's other guys there, and there's, there's one woman. She's just sitting there while they play cards and laugh it up. Oh, my God. What is it? This doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right, Jake. Just take the pictures, will you, Gil? We'll get them back to Beetle House. Join us next week for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.